our study on the book of 1 John. And um, the introduction to this passage is very interesting. Uh, it reminds me of those times, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but those times where you know you need to talk to somebody about something, and so either you call them or you sit them down, and you decide the best way to say hard things is to give like a, a little sugar at the beginning. And uh, the introduction to this patches is lengthy. And the reason I know that it's lengthy is because in the introduction to the last, the, the, the last two passages, it was rather short. In 2.1, it was simply, my little children. In 2.7, with last week's passage, when he was talking about love, he started by calling them beloved. But now all of a sudden, in this passage that we're studying today, the introduction is much longer. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 14. He says this. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. He goes on in verse 13 and says this. I'm writing you, <coughs> excuse me, fathers, because you know... He, him who is from at the beginning. I'm writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. And I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So this is a much longer illustration or an introduction to the passage than we've had before. He is taking a lot more time to kind of explain what he's talking about and why he's talking about it. And so in this passage, what we're seeing is that he is talking to three groups of people. But this isn't about genealogical age. This is about where they're at in their relationship with the Lord. He's talking about three groups of people. He's talking about little children, which would be people that are new in Christ. He's talking to young men, which would be people who are maturing in Christ and are growing in Christ. And he's talking to fathers who should be mature in Christ. So let's break it down instead of in the order that it was written um, by each one of these different groups. And we'll start with little children he says this to the little children. He says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. He's saying that the reason that you're a little kid, that, that you're new in the faith, is because your sins have been forgiven. That you have a personal relationship with the Lord. That you've asked him to be your savior. There are a lot of people, um, one, one church puts people into four groups. It puts them into people that are, are before their faith, new in their faith, growing in their faith, and mature in your faith. He, in this one, begins in verse 2 by talking to them, and the first thing that he wants to remind them in this introduction is that their sins are forgiven. 
The second thing that he wants to remind them, and you see in verse 13, he says, because you know the Father. In other words, you are in relationship with the Father. You're growing in intimacy with the Father. It's an amazing thing to think that because Christ died on the cross for us, if we accept him as our personal Savior, we have a personal relationship with God. It doesn't begin later. It begins immediately. That's the first group he talked to, and he says those two things of them. The second group, he says this, he says, to the young men, or those who are growing in Christ, he says, because you have overcome the evil one. This is interesting. It says that part of the way that we know we're maturing in Christ is that we're becoming overcomers, and that we're no longer completely tied by what's going on, but we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. He goes on in verse 14 and he says, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. In other words, he says this of them. He says that as we mature in Christ, all of a sudden we're overcomers and and that means that we are becoming stronger. And second of all, it means that the word of God is abiding in us. Here's a, a reality If you're not in the Word, it can't abide in you. But he says that they're growing in their relationship with the Lord, and they're growing in their knowledge of their faith. It goes on to talk about fathers, and it says, "...because you have known him who was from the beginning." Not so much that God was from the beginning, but that you've known God since the beginning of your relationship with him, and that you're beginning to have a history with God. One of the ways that we know that we're maturing in our faith is because we look back at the relationship we already have with God, and we use it to define what's going on in our present circumstances and how we're going to face our future. In other words, history somehow begins affecting how we act in that relationship. Uh, This is true of many relationships. I know in my relationship with my wife that there are many times that the reality is is because we have over 30 years of history together, when she reacts a certain way, I understand it because I understand how it fits into this bigger picture of the relationship that we have. In fact, he says the same thing again in verse 14, exactly the same thing to the fathers. For those who are mature in Christ, there's just something about the track record and the history that we have with God that informs us. So here's a summary of just what he's saying in the introduction. He's talking, first of all, to little children, second of all, to young men, and third of all, to fathers. And they can be described as this, those who are new in Christ, growing in Christ, and mature in Christ. And then he he makes a summary of what is true of them. Number one, when we're new in Christ, we need to remember that we are forgiven and that we are in relationship with God. We don't have to earn that relationship. It comes automatically with salvation. Number two, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we have to realize that God has made us to be overcomers. And the wit, this shows up by we becoming stronger in our faith and more biblical in our thinking. And then as we are mature in Christ, we have this history of knowing God. 
You know, I, I think that it would be wise just to take a second here and reflect and say, okay, where am I at in my relationship with God? Am, am I acting like someone who's new in the faith? Am I someone who's growing in my faith? Or am I maturing in our faith? And here's the reality that you need to know. I, I've talked to the teenagers about this kind of thing all the time. It's not automatic. The only form of maturity is automatic is that your body gets older. But when it comes to spiritual maturity and growing in our relationship with the Lord, it's not automatic. You have to work on it. You can't just check the box and say, I'm mature in Christ right now. You have to constantly work on it. It's like every other great relationship in your life. You just can't check a box and say that it's okay. You certainly can't do that in marriage. You can't do that with your children. And you certainly can't do that with the Lord. And so that's the introduction. This longer introduction where he's talking to all of these people and he goes from his introduction to a very strong warning in verse 15 of chapter 2. He says this, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All of a sudden... In our last passage, he was giving the strong concept that we were supposed to be people of love. And part of the way that we know that we're in the light that is God instead of in the darkness that is not God is that we love people. In fact, in John 3.16, it says that God loved the world, but he's not talking about the same thing here. He's talking about not loving the world's way of doing things and the system that's behind it and the way it interacts. He tells it that we as believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to love God and love people, but we're not supposed to love the world. In fact, he says basically that loving the world is ungodly, or if you want to add another word, it's incompatible with loving God and loving people. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. This reminds me of when Jesus Christ himself talks and he says, you can't love both God and manna. There is a dividing line here. And he's telling us, okay, I want you to love people, and I want you to love God, but I don't want you to love the world. And the thing that's nice is he goes on and he describes what that means. In verse 16 he says that for... For all that is in the world, which is the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says these things are ungodly. So what are these things? First of all, he says that it's the desires of the flesh. It's it's all those things that we want. 
See, worldly love is selfish, and it's constantly thinking about what's in it for me, and what do I want to do, and what, what do I prefer, and how should I see things. You know, we, we dress it up a lot better as we get older, but when you're a child, it's as simple as having that toy and somebody wanting to touch it, and you looking at the, that child looking at you and saying, this is mine, There is a selfishness that can drive us. And that selfishness says, I want my way and my will. In fact, that's probably the best way to say it, is that worldly love is selfish. It's about my will instead of God's will. Think about Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed. He was honest and he says, I'm not really sure if I want to do this. But then he went on and said, but not my will, but your will will be done. And so the first thing that we need to understand is as we describe what worldly love is, worldly love is very selfish, very self-centered. The second thing we see in the next phrase, which it says, all that is in the world, which is the desires of the eyes, worldly love is envious. Worldly love is is covetousness. You know, it's really interesting that when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we usually don't talk about the Tenth Commandment, which says, do not covet thy neighbor or his cows or his servants. And yet, we live in this world where we constantly deal with dissatisfaction and disappointment. Don't we? If you watch television pretty long, you don't have a good enough dishwasher, you're not taking the right drugs, you're not using the right products, there's something new that's bigger and it's better. And our eyes see this. Some of you spend too much time occasionally on Facebook and and you look at where you live and then you see pictures of somebody post their new kitchen and you're like, wait a minute here, why don't I have that kitchen? Or they post their new car, wait a minute, why don't I have that new car? Or, Or they post a picture of their kids, wait a minute, why does it look like their kids are more successful than I am? And there is this reality that we are taught and the world wants us to constantly be envious It's, it's, it's about really living every day disappointed instead of living with contentment. You know, it's, it, it, it shows up everywhere. Every time I get a woodworking catalog, what that woodworking catalog is saying to me is, these are all the things you do not have and that are better than what you use. And you need to buy them because they're on sale. And every one of us has these things in our lives. And when we get caught up in being fixated on things, we constantly are disappointed and we don't live the life of contentment. And we're about loving things instead of loving people. The third thing we see is that worldly love is egotistical. It's, 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 it has pride in possession. In other words, it's all about who I am, what I've done. It's about the bullet points of my resume. It's about the trophies in my closet. It's about the things that I can do that you can't do. It's constantly trying to somehow promote itself and make itself feel significant. 
You see, worldly love is about personal significance and what can I do so that I can be proud and feel good about myself. And the main way that I do that is by playing a competition with everybody around me and playing a competition with my life so that every day is about the W column and the L column and whether or not I'm more in the W column than you are and I have more wins than you do and you have more losses and it's constantly caught up with that because, see, it's all about personal significance instead of when you come to Christ and as you grow in your relationship with Him and as you have a history with Him, all of a sudden it's about positional significance instead of personal significance it's more important about not who i am but whose i am connected to but worldly love is a love that is very egotistical in verse 16 it tells us this about worldly love and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever you see here's the bottom line all of these things that are are connected to worldly love are dying and passing away and decaying that's the reality i have in my shop this one box full of electronics that i just haven't been able to get rid of and in it are all of my pdas which are my personal display devices. I used to get these things called um, Palm Pilots. And I, other than the one that somebody stole from me, I have every single one and every generation that existed of those. But you know what? They're all dead. There's, There's no reason. I would never go back to using them. That's what life is like. Life is like an obsolete palm pilot. The world and the love of the world is dying. In fact, he says this as he reads on. He says that, that it is dying. In other words, it is finite. But it goes on to say, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, God's love and loving him is infinite. <clears throat> so, let's summarize. Worldly love is ungodly, selfish, envious, egotistical, and dying. Here is the, here is the comparison. God's love versus worldly love. God's love is about trusting in him, growing in him, and being about his will. Worldly love is about my will. Godly love is about contentment and peace. Worldly love is about disappointment. Godly love gives us significance because of whose we are. Personal, worldly love gives us personal significance because of who we are. Godly love is infinite versus worldly love that is finite. Let's go back to the beginning of this warning. It said this, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him. I believe we could create a continuum in our life. In fact, this passage gives us two continuums. First of all, the first continuum it gives us is new, mature, growing, mature. And we have to ask ourselves, where are we at in that continuum? Some of you in this room even have to ask a bigger question. Am I in the faith at all? Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at all? Am I an unbelieving person instead of a person who's new in Christ? And I want to tell you that the bottom line is that you have to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. You've got to humble yourself and say, I am doing wrong things. It's disconnected me from a relationship with you, God, and so I need to ask you to be my personal Savior. And for some of you, that's where you're at. And your decision today is whether or not you want to be in the faith. But some of you are new in the faith, and maybe you've been new in the faith too long. Maybe you have decided that it's okay to stay there. It's okay just to be forgiven and know that I have a relationship with God, but I'm not really going to work on it. I'm not going to really grow in it. And so you're staying there. Are you on the continuum moving towards a relationship that has history and understanding with God? Are you maturing in your faith? But the second question that we have to ask ourselves is there's this continuum. I think when we're new in Christ, there's still a lot of love of the world in us. But as we mature in Christ, we move more towards love of God. And you've got to realize that it's not a both and. It's an, it's, it, it's, it's an either or. And you have to ask yourself, am I moving? Um, because remember the idea, the bigger idea that we're underneath is that God is light. And am I, am I moving away from the darkness of worldly love and towards the, the light and wonder of love of God and love of people? God is going to let you know where you're at. There might have been key words that you saw here that somehow maybe are touching your life more than you want to admit? Are you living with disappointment? Are you selfish? Are you disappointed even in your personal significance? Are you choosing finite love? My prayer for each one of us is that as we grow in our history with God, we will be more willing to set aside worldly love because it's dying and it's finite and it's passing away and instead we will live inside the love of God and we will learn to love God let's pray dear God I pray for each of us today and I pray that this strong warning would be a challenge to us God move us towards a deepening love for you and away from a love of the world. I pray this in your name. Amen. I asked Jonathan to play one last song today because I think that we need to be reminded that we can love because God has given us great love. So join him as he speaks of the love of God.